This is the Lean Construction Blogs Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories, case studies, and lessons learned of applying lean construction from around the world. Join Dick Beyer as he interviews industry leaders, lean construction practitioners, and subject matter experts to help you improve the build environment in general and your design and construction projects in particular, advance your lean journey, and bring your continuous improvement efforts to the next level. Let's get started. Okay, let's get started. Well, good day, everybody. Welcome to the Lean Construction blog podcast with Dick Beyer. Uh, Today, I have the great honor of uh, having a a good friend of mine uh, who started off as my lawyer and is responsible or minions of his firm are responsible for me being in Canada and staying here. And I could kind of go through the entire process I had of trying to get back from England a few weeks ago. But uh, that's we're going to save that story for another day. And today we're going to concentrate on how uh, integrated project delivery and lean construction and design have migrated across the border and how important it was to set up a contractual vehicle that Canadians would be familiar with. And it turns out that Canada's best construction lawyer recognized as such in some past year, uh, a dean of the College of Canadian Lawyers, the head of the drafting committee for the Canadian Construction Documents Council. Uh, he's got more kudos than you can fit into a kudo car. Let me welcome to today's podcast, my good friend, Geza Bonfai. Geza. Hello, Dick, and thank you for that uh, truly overly generous introduction. I'm, I'm not the dean of the Canadian College of Construction Lawyers. I'm just a member. It's collegial in the greatest sense of the word, I guess. Eh? Yes, it is. Um, so let's introduce you to um, our North American viewers and our. Actually, we this podcast has been heard and viewed in uh, thirty-seven different countries. So uh, it's truly ecumenical, international, whatever. So tell us a little bit about yourself that is different than what I told everybody about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell them the truth. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Okay, which is quite a concept for a lawyer. I mean. Well, it is. But uh, no, I'm, uh, I, I practice construction law. I've been doing it since 1978, which brings me uh, coming up to 42 years now. I, I didn't start out this way. I mean, I, I went to, to, to university at age 17 because uh, I skipped a grade and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought it, engineering sounded interesting. So I enrolled at the University of Toronto, but I didn't know what kind of engineering. They had a program there called Engineering Science which is a generic general sort of program, finished the year and then uh, changed track and ended up in law school, uh, worked in a small firm for a year and a half, saw an ad in the, uh, in the local uh, paper for a job at uh, in another firm, then called uh, Blaney, Pasternak, Smela, and Watson. Uh, they were looking for a junior construction lawyer, sounded interesting, uh, and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, so here I am uh, dealing with engineering principles all over, all over again. You know, I, I, I've known for a long time that we are uh, brothers from different mothers uh, because my, <laughs> my grandfather is on the one hand, my grandfather, Stuart was a Stanford educated engineer who is in charge of charge of the, uh, the big gears that control the water that flows through dams for the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, and my other grandfather was a, international lawyer and law professor. So I was torn between all of those things. And I was pretty much 
committed to having a radio career. Here you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, there are some differences, I, uh, but there are some significant differences, I think, between how law is practiced in Canada and how it is in the States. We'd like to think that here in Canada, we're nicer than you guys. <laughs> Although um, I'm, I'm told by my American friends that uh, they're constantly surprised by how much we litigate up here, whereas how much they settle down mm-hmm. there. So there are some there are some differences i mean it's it's a much it's a, it's a relatively speaking much smaller bar up here it's a much smaller industry i mean up here everybody knows everybody i'm not sure the same could be said down in the states where you have such a huge population of contractors and lawyers and so on yeah there's 360 million people and about 280 yeah. million of them at least think that they're lawyers one of the things i've noticed is that uh, you know and we've discussed this canadians take contracts pretty seriously in the States, you sign a contract, and it's often just the beginning of the negotiations for the amendment to the contract or the change order or whatever you want to call it. But here, people take, seem to take them seriously, like judges routinely award liquidated damages, if that's called for, because liquidated damages is a penalty, and the courts abhor imposing penalties if, in fact, you could figure damages out. There's very few cases that are easier to figure damages out than in construction, the basic the basic idea, as you know, about liquidated damages is is that it's it's intended as a genuine pre-estimate of loss and circumstances in which calculating the loss is difficult or impossible. So you you agree in advance, you know, having having directed your mind to some some cal- some approximation, some calculation, so as to avoid the controversy later on in the event that the damages are accessible. They seem to have taken on a life of their own in some cases, and now you have LDs being prescribed for all kinds of crazy things, the loss of a key of a key personnel. I, I think a lot of people have a misconception about them. They view them as, as you've described them, as a penalty, as a you know, as a as a sum in terrorum to right. force compliance, and that's not quite what the law <laughs> specifies. And so you have these problems up here. And I used to think that contractors were generally opposed to them. Not not quite. I've been told by more than one contractor that actually they like them because it allows them to assess their risk and quantify it at the bidding stage. Right. And this, you know, this segues us, of course, into risk and buying and selling risk and the themes of IPD. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and, you know, but that's a, it's it's also uh, like one of those kind of crazy uh, what I tend to refer to as reverse incentives, you know. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, I mean, one of the the hallmarks of contract law for five hundred years um, has been you have the right to violate a contract with impunity as long as you're willing to pay damages for it, yeah. which is why uh, punitive damages and those things have hardly been awarded in yeah. contracts, yeah. but the the bar in the states is is not routinely sophisticated enough to understand that so people are constantly you know ad- making claims for punitive damages in contracts um, but the the ability to just buy your way out of a contract by paying liquidated damages um, seems to me as a kind of perverse reverse incentive. Um, because it would encourage you to just violate the contract and say, well, it's cheaper for me. And I love to talk about the law because I, I love the law. What's great about contracts in the common law tradition is that it is a completely developed system. Yep. You know, it's a system that has it has everything in it. And when we think about systems, which we try to think about in IPD and we try to think about it in, in any kind of uh, process, 
Um, it is a system that was that, that developed from the experience of the people and not necessarily the judgment of the king, uh, which I always thought was was really interesting and cool about it. This business about contracts, Dick, I, I, I've thought for a long time, and this sort of ties into something that you said earlier about Canada versus the U.S. I've always had the sense that we in Canada take our contracts a little too seriously in the sense that you've got a contract, uh, there's been a problem. So the next contract, well, we're gonna we're gonna put it we're gonna put in a clause that solves that last problem, right? And so on and so on and so on. At the end of the day, you are what are you striving for? The perfect contract, which of course is an impossibility. There's this sense, the mistaken sense, in my view, that if we could just get to as close to a perfect contract as we could. All our problems would be solved. That is that is such a fallacy. You know, I, I have this saying. I as I age, I have sayings, Dick, and you know, I have to really cut this out. But, but well, as, as you age, they they become aphorisms. I guess they do. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's it's this: good people will usually make a bad contract work, whereas bad people will invariably make a good contract fail. There are limits to contract. As, yes. we, as we all, I think that's the genesis of of a more relational contract, right? Because mm-hmm. contracts fail the same way that estimation fails, the same way that schedules fail, the same way that weather predictions fail. Yes. We try to predict the future, and we try to, especially in contracts, try to solve the future by creating incentives one way or the other, usually financial, sometimes bullying incentives, <laughs> yes. uh, but usually financial to try to get people to do the right thing. And yet three years down the road, what looked like the right thing three years ago is, is perhaps not the right thing now. And so some people are taking advantage of their of their superior bargaining power back in the day. And now they're they're using the contract to drive a wedge. So Rather than those very predictive contracts, and I have worked, as you know, on the supplementary conditions for CCDC 30 on four different projects with six different law firms. And the lawyers are always trying to get these anti-IPD but client protective measures in there because they think their job is to protect their client and not to create an atmosphere for success of the project. Right. And right. I think that's that's one of the difficulties. That's why you know you and I need to get out there and evangelize with the lawyers as much as we need to with the owners. Well, this is this is a you know this is an excellent point, Dick. I mean, I and I and I, I see this I see this with my professional colleagues up here, and it, it and, and it, it most lawyers, I think, and they come by this quite honestly, <laughs> that their job is to protect their client. And what you're what you're experiencing, this doesn't surprise me at all. Is is this is this is is what what is a holdover actually of a of a mode of being in this new paradigm of IPD where it's completely inappropriate? I think I think the job of a lawyer in an IPD contract, frankly, is to is to focus. Well, first of all, is to understand that there are limits to that contract. The contract you've got a great metaphor for this. I don't know if it's yours or somebody else's, but you know the contract is like the hardware and. The, the real operating system is, is is lean, you know. So what does the contract do? Well, it, it set it sets the ground rules of engagement, the hardware for the relationship, and so the real job of the lawyer in an IPD contract, in my view, is to is to make sure that that hardware recognizes the relational characteristics of the 
of the relationship and addressed itself to, to, among other things, governance. Governance, the governance of the relationship is tremendously important, as you know, right. in IPD. But to, if you want to go further and, and you know put in stuff that protects your client at the expense of the other, you're defeating the, the you're defeating the purpose of the of the thing. Ian McNeil came up with the idea of a relational contract. He dispensed with offer and acceptance and consideration and legality and capacity as the you know the five hereditaments of everything yeah. we were taught about contracts in law school. And he he focused on the exchange and the reciprocity. And yet we are now 50, 60 years on from McNeil and his thinking back in, uh, you know, back in the seventies. I mean, when you and I started practicing and still we're, we're still at offer acceptance buy, sell risk, risk shifting provisions, you know, all of these kinds of crazy things, just like we're still at critical path, which doesn't make sense to anybody. If you, if you can spend five minutes with them and they, they go, well, you're just a lawyer. You're confusing me. This is what my mother used to tell me. <laughs> I never had an argument with her and I was taking her down. Oh, well, it just doesn't sound right to me. You must be just be a lawyer. You've got magic words. You know, you're trying to convince me. This is what we're going to do. Well, there's great truth in what she said, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, that's why I moved on from being just a lawyer. So that's why I got here, I think. To, to being right. <laughs> well, I think that's what, I mean, maybe that's what motivated me not to be an engineer because you know, in engineering, it's very important that you be right. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, you get it right or buildings collapse and bridges fall down and bad things happen. So you have to get it right. And in the law, this will sound crazy, but I think it's, it's better that you're poetic and artistic can, and you have a big picture of how the world actually works so that you can tell stories to people in a way that has those stories have meaning. Had a career as a construction Lawyer, you've been both uh, in the English tradition, a solicitor and a barrister. You've we are more civilized, Dick. There is a there is a certain <laughs> civility that happens up here. So, what led you to to get involved in in IPD? Were there were there cases that you had where you thought, wow, the system's really no. not working very well? Or no, nope. I was uh, in. I think it was two thousand and eight. I uh, was asked to join the Canadian Construction Documents Committee (CCDC). And they had a spot there for me, what they call their ex officio legal representative. So I'm, I'm, I was the lawyer uh, around this table. Uh, it's a committee of, maybe and you were 50, the only lawyer, right? At uh, at that point, yes. Yeah. And um, uh, so they thought they they thought they could use a lawyer. So <laughs> they could actually, if, if if to mediate among them, if, if for no other reason. But it's a small group of about 15 or 16 people consisting of representatives of owners, uh, uh, generals, trades, architects, engineers, and spec writers. And the mandate of CCDC, as, as is the case in, in a number of American organizations, mm-hmm. is to create standard forms that uh, you know the industry will hopefully adopt and use. And about five or, I've lost track of the years, five or six years ago, I think, the, uh, the, the then chair of CCDC, Walter Strachan, uh, decided that uh, we we ought to we ought to prepare uh, a standard form of agreement in IPD, and he prevailed upon the powers that be to approve this and fund it. And uh, we established a subcommittee of about eleven or twelve people, and we over the course of about a year and a half or so, we met and moved from ground zero to CCDC thirty which is the 
first version of, of, of the IPD contract with which we are now working. By the way, we're 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 beginning to think about the the revisions to CCDC 30 in, in light of experience over those years to tweak it and you know uh, make it make it better. I hope to be but, part of those conversations. <laughs> Uh, you're more than welcome, Vic. Uh, seriously, but uh, no, that's how we did it. We, we started from ground zero. So the so the first uh, several uh, meetings were were interesting because uh, you know we brought in people who were familiar with IPD, and you know they began educating us. In those first several meetings, all of us. You know, I mean, picture the scene. You've got you know eleven or twelve people, from, all from CCDC, all of all of whom are of a certain age. You know, the accumulated experience around that table is measured in hundreds of years, and we've all been we've all grown up steeped in the traditional way of doing things: design, bid, build, CM, design, build. And here we are listening to people talking about a whole new world. And there was a bit of a deer in the headlights quality mm. to the thing uh, at the at the outset. It took quite a while, actually, to reorient our worldview uh, away from all of that into the new paradigm that IPD requires. And, and just while I'm talking about this, you know, there's an interesting phenomenon. An interesting phenomenon emerged from all of this, and that is that. You know the the people on on that committee were also we're all members of CCDC itself, so we're having these meetings dealing with, dealing with IPD, and then we're also having the regular CCDC meetings that we also go to to deal with updates to the design bid build agreement or CM or something. And for most of us, it became a little disconcerting going back to the normal CCDC meetings. There's a schizophrenic quality to the whole damn thing, right? <laughs> so. Many of us are still in that schizophrenic mode. But, yeah, I can, uh, I can certainly I can certainly empathize with that because you know in Canada, the Canadian Construction Association has a separate committee that they call the Lean Construction Institute of Canada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's really just a committee. It's not really an institute. Um, and so we had discussions about trying to bring that out of CCA and make that a standalone organization in which they would participate fully with designers and everybody else. Because I saw one of their meeting brochures one time and their annual meeting had in the ambassador salon, number one, lean construction, ambassador salon, number two, how to make a claim for <laughs> delay damages in your right. contract. Right. Uh, ambassador room number three, how do you use CCDC2 to drive a wedge between your contractor and trades, right? I mean, it was just like, how can yeah. these two, how can these things exist in the same building, much less the same kind of world, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a problem. And I felt for a long time and still do that uh, you know, among the among the impediments to the a more, a more fulsome adoption of IPD within Canada is simply the fact that that we're not talking amongst ourselves, not nearly as much as we should, not coordinating efforts, not nearly as much as we should. You've got, you know, you've got the you've got the you've got the COPs in the lean world who are out there having their meetings. You've got the LCI who's doing its thing. There's you and your team who's doing its thing. There are the people out west, IPDA, who are doing their thing. And there's, there is now, 
as you as as you know better than I, Dick. There there is now a, a, a quite a a a group of people within this country who actually have some pretty good experience in IPD and lean. And I think we need to get people talking to each other in some sort of coordinated fashion. For sure. I mean, I have seen the, um, the, the disparate applications of it. And mm-hmm. some people think that, um, that, you know, IPD is an actual thing, right? It's a philosophy and a, and a self-effectuating system. And it creates all of this stuff. And as I've, said, you know, my metaphor for IPD is it's the bomb squad. It comes in, it gets rid of all the impediments to doing a lean operating system because you can't really do a lean operating system in the current system. It's very difficult to do both the collaborative piece of it and all of the lean design and construction tools that we have. Yeah. Because we've structured our contracts to get in the way of all of that. Right. Well, there, there have been very clear divisions and it, and it really, this is a North American, this is a Anglo Canadian American Commonwealthian, you know, anywhere that the common law has sprouted up the same ideas about incentives, whether they, you know, come from Adam Smith, who actually, before he wrote Wealth of Nations, he wrote a great book on morality mm-hmm. and how you need to have empathy for your neighbor and all kinds of things. And people forget that That's he right. was a moralist before he was an economist. That's right. uh, the idea that these incentives drive, you know, people to behave is exposed immediately when you say, well, okay, so you have liquidated damages. How is Bob going to act differently? because he faces liquidated damages. And, and we see that, you know, when there are these significant penalties like the O train in Ottawa, once those penalties started making their, you know, raising their hoary little head, um, all of a sudden there was acceleration on the line that led to all kinds of safety problems and all kinds of mechanical problems and everything else. So we, we incentivize ourselves into bad behavior sometimes with these contracts. Well, it gets worse than that. Uh, as you know, I mean, when you when you see the LDs looming on the horizon, uh, in addition to everything you've just described, what else do they do? Well, they go to their lawyers, right? And you know, the notices start to fly. Uh, nothing good ever comes of this. Well, the uh, real enemy of the people there is race judicata. I've always decided because you know, at least as it's practiced in the states, everything has to be resolved in one in one piece of litigation. So it leads construction cases to be not between this person and that person. It involves everybody because you have a claim against me. I'm trying to kick that claim down to Bob and Bob's trying to kick it over to Jeannie and Jeannie has a claim back against you. And all of a sudden it is also, it's always a nuclear conflagration. It's never some small little targeted action for a $1,500 change order. And that's, that's, you know, partly because, of course, you know, the construction process is not is never between any two people. It's a, it's an it's a tightly coupled, interwoven web, and you know, poke poke it in one corner, and you're going to get reverberations all over the place. And here you go. Yeah, and I think that's fundamentally what's wrong with the with the you know lump sum and design bid build industry is that it it doesn't recognize that this is a network of commitments, that this is a a team that has to come together in some fashion and deliver it. It believes that each of these little parts can be delivered on their own. And then that's going to give you something. And it does give you things like lawsuits and delays and 
overruns, terrible yeah. things. Yeah. And the theory, of course, well, the theory is that, well, you know, if, this, if everybody in this tightly interwoven network of contracts does what they're supposed to do, it's all supposed to work every right. time flawlessly. And the reality, of course, is that most of the time, um, that, that that may be true if 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 one could predict in advance all of the contingencies that could happen in the process, but one cannot. Most of the time, something happens. Stuff happens. Regardless of contract model. Regardless of the model, regardless of the best intentions, regardless of anything. Uh, you know, so now you've poked one piece of that tightly coupled network and uh, the way that, you know, the contractual arrangements are set up where, you know, they're bilateral and everybody's trying to maximize their value within that bilateral relationship. Um, it ends up in disaster. So. It's almost as if you had a city like London that had no main roads, that everything was a bilateral connection, right? For me to get to you, Mm -hmm. I had to go to Bob, I had to go to Jeannie, I had to go to Joe, I had to go to Fred, and then I can get to you. And then oh. for you to get to me, you have to come back that way too. So there's no way for that I can just call you up and say, hey, Gaza, what about this $1,700 escalation of copper? I mean, this is why I think IPD was was designed. Uh, I mean, what, what you're talking about is all those unknowns are risk, right? And it's, risk is just what we don't know. I mean, I've got maybe uh, 12 books on my shelf, 12 books back here <laughs> in this extensive library of mine that try to talk about risk as uh, something different than just what we don't know, right? It's, it, becomes, it becomes the outcome of probability rather than, than just what we don't know. And IPD was designed to get as many people on board as early as possible so that you could know more than you can know in these opaque bilateral contracts that's right that's right or part of the challenge of the cultural change that's required in order to get greater ipds within the country is as is getting over the habit of profiting on that opacity right i mean the you know the contracting community uh for whom i have tremendous respect and admiration they profit on opacity, they, 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 there's 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 money to be made because again because of because of the because of the mental model that people use. Right. If if everything is a negotiation, well, I'm not going to lay all my cards on the table in a negotiation. I'm going to hold back, and and you know those who negotiate best make the most. The struggle that we have, I think, in Canada more so than the states, but in the states as well, is that. In order for there to be a paradigm shift, there's the Kuhn corollary or the Kuhn yes. whatever, which, which says the system is going along and then all of a sudden the system gets out of balance. Yes. And the pressure on the system to change has to be much greater than the cost of changing. Yes. So as long as you're tooting along and the cost to the participants isn't that great, pressure on one side, the owner who's getting less value than they should, is getting projects later than they should, getting projects that aren't, you know, that don't reach the value proposition that they had hoped for or that they had aspired to. That pressure is just not felt by the, the contracting community. I mean, when I work with big teams, especially on these bigger projects, these half billion dollar projects, these two and $300 million projects, and on 
you know, a, a multi-billion dollar project uh, like the center block, there's just no, there's no pressure on the, on the, on the contractors to think that anything's really wrong. The design yeah. firms really don't know their own business well enough to understand that there are some things that are really kind of wrong about that model because they're designers, they're not contractors. And, and, and they don't really think of their business as opaque, but it's that their business is opaque to them as well, because they don't really you know, track where they make their money because, you know, money's not a thing that if you're a designer, you talk about, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. to some extent, the trades have the most fully developed understanding of what it takes for them to deliver their jobs and still be profitable. But that requires opacity and it requires territory and it requires superiority yeah. on the job and, and not necessarily teamwork. So, well, and I, and I don't blame any of those groups uh, because there's, you know, there's no, there's precious little incentive. Things are okay. Uh, we, we, we're we doing all, fine. <laughs> we're doing fine. We're, our profits are, you know, we're maintaining our profits and yeah, you know, I'm a big company and every year I got a budget $5 million for legal, but you know, that's just a cost of doing business and, 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 and the source of, of change and, you know, in terms of, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I think it's, I think we're building up this pressure that you're talking about in the Kuhnian sense. The source of change is going to be the, is going to be the owner community. Right. And, and, you know, you're seeing it, we're seeing it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, owners and, and, you know, they're, and they're becoming, you know, more and more enlightened. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, annoyed about the fact that they're just not getting the value that they should be getting. They're, they're tired of the constant fighting they're, and, and, and all of the, all of the, you know, negative stuff that's inherent in the traditional way of doing things. And, you know, they've heard about this and they want to uh, explore this. And so it's refreshing to me, I'm sure to you too, you know, to encounter, uh, you know, some owners who are amazingly uh, enlightened. I was uh uh, not participating, but uh, uh, I was enrolled in a in a in a, in a talk uh, recently uh, involving collaborative contracting models, and they had a representative from uh, the city of Kelowna in British Columbia uh, who was talking about uh, how they do things in a collaborative way down there, and they have been for quite a while. It was amazing listening to this guy for me because he was he was in some sense living in a completely different world. Than, yeah. than the world of, of the municipalities with which I'm most familiar. Uh, he was so far, I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure he was aware of it. He was so far ahead of the curve that um, it was breathtaking. They're now at the point where uh, the collaborative model is the way they do things and it's working like a charm for them. It's, it's interesting because my friend Carla Sipuski from uh, out in Calgary, um, who knows a thing or two about all this stuff, um, said that there is a movement in, especially in British Columbia, to re recreate project management, as it were. So to move away from the PIMBOK, the you know Project Management Institute Book of Knowledge, right. way of doing things as oversight, and begin at the very beginning to assess what are our needs and how do we best meet our needs, which is really what is at the at the very heart of big room management and. Yeah values development and big ideas is to assess, you know, what's the value proposition? What are we trying to do here for owners? And I think it has, um, uh, according to Carlos, that has taken, taken off like wildfire. So they're, they're used to that. They're not used to this templated 
well, I mean, here's our P6 schedule, and this is what it tells us that we have to do. One of the uh, senior members of, a, of an international cost consulting firm said in a meeting the other day, well, you know, there's time, cost, and quality, and you can really only have two of those. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm going, no, <laughs> you, you yeah. can actually have all three. And I think that's what owners are saying is yeah. I want all three. And yeah. and the owners, the owners representatives that we work with, um, the people that run run the run the project from the owner's side, they have bosses as well. Mm-hmm. And their bosses are going, well, why aren't we, you know, why are these things consistently over budget or how do we know that that budget was right? I mean, there's some, there's some projects that have been delivered, some IPD projects that have been delivered, you know, substantially under budget. And you wonder, I begin to wonder with those as to whether, well, was the budget the right budget? Because there is a right amount of time and a right amount of money that it takes to build something of the right quality, right? We just haven't gotten to that spot because of the kind of the price cost differential, right? The cost of doing something is hardly ever reflected in the price. I mean, it's all in there. But the price represents the number of touches between people along the line who want a piece of that. Right. And that's the opacity. That's one of the uh, opaque curtains that we want to open up right in the IPD world is that why aren't we paying for just the cost of the stuff that we're asking for? So with those challenges, what do you tell owners? What is the, you know, what's what's the key, do you think, to their pushing the right button so that they have the courage, actually, to engage in a system that is not what their procurement system is set up to deal with at all? Uh, you know, the, the, the first thing I tell them is, is thanks for calling. You <laughs> it's know, a good start. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's a very good start because it means you've already made an important decision, um, which many owners have not. So thanks for calling. I then, I then, you know, typically, you know, I, I mean, I engage with them in a, in a, in a chat about what, what they're looking for in this particular project they're thinking about, but also their experience, their capabilities in-house. Usually, um, I find myself saying, well, you know, at some point in the, in the, in the conversation, okay, uh, well, here's a suggestion. You should give this guy buyer a call. Uh, better call you know, Saul. <laughs> better call Saul and, and, you know, and carry this forward. Because I, I say to them, look, if, and I'm, I'm, and perhaps I'm a little too blunt sometimes, but, you know, I say to them, look, IPD is not a silver bullet. If you are going into this simply because you've read an article or somebody's mentioned it at a party or, you, you know, sounds like a good idea, it's a good start. But there's a, there's a process of, of learning and growth, growth that, that has to happen with an owner in terms of allowing uh, allowing IPD to be successful. So if if you owner are telling me that that you get that and you're prepared to make the investment of time and resources necessary to enhance that process of learning and growth, uh, then great. But if you're looking at this thing as just a you know design bid build by other means, you're bound for failure. Better do design bid build. At least at least you know it, and your expectations are what they are. So um, I hope I don't talk too many of them out of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, but I think, you know, you know, as we know, I mean, you, you got to be realistic about this stuff. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, fortunately, my experience, at least yours too, I'm sure, you know, there are, there are, there are lots, you know, an increasing number of owners who understand that, who understand that, okay, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we, we've, we've been operating under the old paradigm. It hasn't been working. We are sufficiently dissatisfied now. Right. To do the necessary to move from there to here. And we're, we're sufficiently uh, dissatisfied uh, to consider the investments necessary to, 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 for that learning to be made. And, you know, that's wonderful. And, and then, you know, I, I refer them to other owners who've, who've already done this and they can compare notes. You know, when I think one of the important things is that is that it takes a substantial amount of courage to do this. So I think that's one of the one of the things you have to tell an owner because if if you're going to get the value from an IPD contract, it means that you are controlling where the money is spent and you're trying to focus spending the money on things that are valuable to the ultimate project. What's what's valuable to the owner's value proposition, right? What solves that value proposition. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to tell a design firm we're not paying for a spec writer because we're developing those things. We're developing the equivalent of specs in the validation process. Yes. And it's not valuable to us to have somebody take those specs and write them down in a big spec book when everybody sat at the table and developed them and they know exactly what it is that's required. You know, we're, we don't need your submittal person because we're not having submittals. We're deciding in design. What's the air handler that we're buying and we're deciding the process for buying that. And we don't need your additional superintendents who are there to, to catalog claims and to try to manage scope. Because when we hire the drywaller, drywaller does the drywall scope, whatever that happens to be. And they're paid to have in materials for it. So maximizing that ability to, to input the value proposition into the day-to-day management of the job and to lose people on the job. I mean, you have to, you have to send people away Mm -hmm. so that you can maximize the savings and labor, which is really the key to the lean operating system is to, is to not do all of those processes that cost us money, like RFIs that cost us a thousand dollars because there's 19 touches and we have waived liability amongst each other. So we don't care if we go back and say that, well, that was approved or authorized because our contract doesn't provide for that. Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've described this as an act of courage. Um, well, well, I suppose it is, but you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and I agree with you. And I think of it as an act of giving permission to an owner to do, to do things, ask questions, make inquiries that he's always wanted to do. Right. Open the present. <laughs> open the present before Christmas. <laughs> Make sure you know, it's not a lump of coal, right? Exactly. It, and you know, and 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 you know, and this, I guess again ties into the opacity point, and 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 you know, and and, the, and that old model. Well, you know, I went to tender, and here are my prices, and I, you know, I can't negotiate. I can't ask questions, but you know, that that get behind the prices, and so on, and so on, and so on. Well, actually, you can. You you have permission. Oh. In, in this model. And, uh, and we're, be- we're, we're still using the same old procurement system mm. 
to gather people in this model. So you and I had a recent conversation about the procurement of a team where we were unable to go outside of the response in the RFI and say, well, these people have had lawsuits. <laughs> these people have been yeah. have made claims and these people have challenges and we can't out them um, because the procurement process in the broader public sector requires a very narrow blinders on focus around you know the RFI uh, and those uh, kinds of things. So how do we? Well, there's there's room there, but there's 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 room there. Uh, you know, you can set the rules of procurement to give you those privileges. And I think you know, as we do more and more of these, uh, we'll probably find uh, that the rules of the procurement sitting in the tender documents are going to be modified to allow precisely what you've just said. You know, to to make back. Background checks. I mean, it's, it's it's there in some in many procurements already. You know, the right of a of an employer to 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 do this. Uh, but no, your 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 point's well taken. The, the the rules of procurement in the tender documents have to line up with with, with the IPD model, right? You know, and 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 the principles, of, of the collaborative principles of the model, and so on. Uh, and there are some gaps there. But what what you say, I think about permission is really um, is meaningful. I haven't really thought about it that way, and if I if I think about it and I turn it around in my head, we're giving people the permission to build a new system, mm-hmm. which means that we have to we have to supply actors to the system. Mm-hmm. We have to find people who are able to do it in the way that we believe the system will operate best. And that's it's different for everybody. So there's no, you know, the, the standardization that you find in lean is really just the standardization in lean design and construction of the starting points. Where do you begin? How do you get organized? But once we've been organized, we see, we have to build a, we have to build a supply system for procurement that allows us to do the kind of procurement that gives us the rich teams we need. We need to educate the contractors on their new role, which is to provide value through mentorship and coordination and managing safety on the site but is different than their old role used to be. And we have to, we have to educate trades on what collaborative flow actually looks like on a job and how that benefits them. And we have to educate designers and consultants that all of these steps, the schematic drawings and the design development and the issued for construction are really the valuable plan is issued for construction. Now, sketching things on the back of an envelope could be could be considered schematic or flying through a model and looking at different options could be thought of as schematic, but it's not it's not a holistic process. You know, as Stan Chu said, we need to chunk more and batch less. Yeah. We just have to get out there and do it. You know, the other thing besides this permission is that what are we giving people permission to do? Something they desperately already want to do. People want to collaborate. I'm convinced of this. Well, when, uh, when, when I do the, uh, you know, I kick off a project with love and loathe. And I don't know if you've been on one of those love and loathe things yet, but no, no. you start off with a, a group of uh, contractors, a group of owners, an IPD team, could be school kids. Um, and you talk about design and construction. And so the first, first 10, 15 minutes uh, people break into groups of three and they and they write down on stickies one idea per sticky. This is the, the fundamental buyer belief in stickies. Right. Right. Um, what do they love about construction and design? 
And they'll say things like collaboration and teamwork, and we build great buildings, and we help communities, and we do all kinds of really wonderful aspirational things. And then after we've done that, I say, okay, now I'm going to give you an hour to write down what you loathe about construction and design. (laughs) And that usually gets a chuckle because they only get 10 minutes. But the things that people loathe are usually processes. They're usually things we can change. They're RFIs, they're unrealistic expectations, they're bad budgets, they're, you know, submittal processes, they're bidding, they're losing a bid. Although there, are, there is, every once in a while, there's a, somebody who says, I love bidding and I love winning bids. And it's just a junky adrenaline. And I know it's not good for the system, but I love it. So you go, okay, well, let's try to figure out something that, you know, that gets to that, that love and loathe. But um, it's funny because at the end of Love and Loathe, I say, okay, if we do more of what we love and less of what we loathe, that's lean construction right there. <laughs> it's a pretty easy way to explain it. It, it, it gets right at the heart of it. You know? And people have self-created what their charter is, you know, or their, their yeah. constitution or their basic cultural pillars for the project that they're going to go on. They're going to do more of what they love and less of what they loathe. You know, uh, one of the one of the things that's kept me going here along the way of this of this journey. You guys love to use the word journey. Uh, it is a journey. Uh, that's a band that uh, used to have Phil. Uh, what's his name? Is it okay? Well, anyway, <laughs> one of one of the things that's kept me going is many occasions along the way I've talked to people who have done IPD without exception. So far, everyone I've talked to has said almost literally. To a person, I would never go back. So I asked them why. And, and by the way, this this ranges from senior executives to uh, the foreman. And I asked them why. And you know, I get I get uh, the most common response I get is, I, I'm tired of waking up every morning to go have a fight. <laughs> this is much more fun, right? I feel like I'm actually doing something constructive but the foreman was really interesting he was uh you know he was he's been a foreman all his life the guy was you know early 50s for god's sake i bumped into him in the hallway and near the near this big room once and asked him that question and he had a very interesting response his eyes kind of got watery because i i guess no one had quite asked him this what what became you know what to him was actually a very significant question you know why do you like this and he just he just said the first thing that came to his mind, he said, because they listened to me. No one's ever listened to me before, you know, in that way that, that, you know, that, you know, a good functioning IPD team has. Listening you know, to understand. Yeah. Listen, well, just, just, just hearing him out, you know, you just <laughs> like, you know, you, you'd ask the, you know, the foreman's the guy who's actually doing the work. Right. And, you know, what a novel concept. Talk to the guy who's actually doing the work, who, you know, after a certain time, certainly has ideas about how the work could be done better, if only he could communicate that to the, you know, everybody else in the team, but he can't because nobody listens to him. And finally, you know, this this fellow has, has somebody who's actually asking him, how can I, you know, how can I improve your job? And he's got answers. It's uh, very gratifying. I think what that the big room, the kind of lean operating system provides a forum for having those conversations. Yeah. And it's pretty early on that people understand that there's no real hierarchy in that room. That's right. That if they have a good idea, they're expected 
not only are they invited to share it, but they're expected to share it. This is exactly the guy we want to have on our job. We want to have a person that says, that just doesn't make sense to me. Let's go pursue that. And in the, you know, somewhere behind the iron curtain of construction delivery, (laughs) that never surfaces. And that surfaces in the big room on a regular basis, which I think is really great. Yeah. It's the whole point of it. So it's the whole point of it. So what's next for you in terms of getting, you you already talked about CCDC, maybe making some tweaks here and there. What about getting owners? And uh, I mean, where where do you see your evangelism? Because I I know you're an evangelist because I I hear you scream Eureka uh, every once in a while. (laughs) You know, I mean, look, what's next? Uh, Education. Education, 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 and uh, and you know, getting people to talk to each other, and I, and and uh, but I think that's tremendously important. There's a hunger out there for this. Okay, so we created the CCDC 30 contract, and out and it's out there, but it certainly hasn't stopped the questions, because of course the CCDC 30, like any other contract, doesn't actually tell you how to do it. It sets the ground rules, but it doesn't. It doesn't tell you how to do an IPD job. It doesn't say. It doesn't doesn't tell you how to do lean. It mentions lean concepts, but it doesn't tell you how to do it. So, um, uh, and, and there there is there is I think a, 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 a growing hunger for uh, learning uh, about this stuff in uh, in ways that are. Uh, perhaps a little better, a little more comprehensive, uh, perhaps a little more accessible than than what might be out there now. And cool. so that's a that's a big focus of mine. One of the things that you suggested is that um, I'll use Edward Wilson's term: there be a consilience that we we begin to talk to all the people who have done this. We have to have a forum someplace that's a yes. that's a neutral place where we can all get together. That's not yes influenced um for any segment of the of the industry but that is a, a big room for the exchange yes. of ideas an agora yes. almost yes. where we can talk about our experiences you know free of free of trying to con a client into doing something or free of trying to do something else where we can just oh. share what we've learned <clears throat> and i think that's probably important before um the ccdc 30 tweaks are made maybe that's something you and i should yes. be working on here in the next yes little while that we yes. get all of the people and the different organizations and their different approaches and we get them together to talk about uh ways of seeing and knowing as our indigenous friends tell yes. us we need to have our own ways of seeing and our own ways of knowing uh yeah. that are allow us to really deliver fundamentally what is a great promise of ipd yeah and yeah. it's the purest in the room. Um, I'm always as happy as I am to see the number of IPDs that are going on. I'm always a little disappointed <laughs> that we didn't make as much progress as we could have, which is part of my own, quote, journey. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on journey. I just can't think of a better way of talking about it. I, I think of it as learning, you know, my learnings. But it, it, is, a, it is a path and it is, <laughs> it is a road less taken. It's something so i guess journey is as good as I'm, I'm trying to give up on you know all of these barriers that i i put up like i hated using the term journey i really didn't like using any of the, of the toyota japanese words for things because they're always kind of misinterpreted in a very uh, western right. you know cut and dried way when they really i mean kaizen is a whole experience of sensei you know lawyers in japan are called senseis 
which means teacher or mentor. And how interesting we'd hardly be called senseis here. <laughs> yeah. How interesting. Yeah. And yeah. so it, 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 it suffers from translation, right. Yeah. And then, yeah. and it also allows people to get, you know, culturally aligned against it. Oh, that's just a Japanese thing. You know, it'll never work here. Yeah. And it, it's much broader than that. It is a very, uh, it's, it's a deep philosophy of really seeing that we don't need to do all these things that we do. We only have time to do certain things mm-hmm. and to have our days and to have, I had a kid in one of my lean construction management classes at the university of Denver um, who spent his day following trades around to make claims against them. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he Talk about a about, schizophrenic existence. All right. He's like the guy who runs the complaint department at the department right. store. Right? Right. right. There's a great children's book called Ludlow laughs about the guy who's at the, at the department store and he wakes he's when he sleeps he laughs deeply and there's a whole syndrome i had a friend who had this syndrome of laughing at night it's a psychological syndrome so i don't want to make you know fun of it um but his laugh is so is so infectious and contagious that a radio station breaks in through his window every night and broadcasts it to the entire world and it makes everybody feel better and yet he's the guy that runs the complaint department and the end of the story is that one night he doesn't laugh and everybody's packing up their equipment. They have to go away and people all over the world are sad. But in the morning, Ludlow wakes up with a smile on his face. And it's such an endearing story that it reminds me of that's what, you know, when you and I have a really have great successes out there, you know, we wake up in the morning with a smile on our face that some of this stuff is getting better. We're having a, you know, a small influence on how we build better buildings in the world. And that's a, that's a pretty yeah. significant thing. It's kind of cool. It is cool, and uh, and I'm very lucky. You know, I'm just very lucky. I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, to have landed on CCDC. I'm at a time when they wanted to do this. I'm lucky to have met you and the people that you've introduced me to. I'm just a lucky guy. I consider and, uh, myself really fortunate too. And I just wonder. My my kids have said to me, you know, Dad, you're like the luckiest guy in the world. And I go, I know. It's because I do two things. I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I go. I go stand in the street of luck, and if you do those two things, it's likely that you'll be hit by the bus of luck. You never know where it's going to knock you, uh, but it does. It does move you in in good directions. Like you know, it is the residue of design. You do have to. You do have to get out of bed in the morning and go chase it, and then, well, and then that know, luck you, comes you. to you. Listen, there's there's much to be said for for being a personification of IPD and lean. And if 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 being a generally happy person is a personification of this, that's exhibit A. Count me in, right? Your witness. Your witness. <laughs> I'm I'm, you know? I'm finished, Your Honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been great, Gates. And thank you so much, my friend, for your time, um, mostly for your energy in both um, getting your folks to allow me to stay in this wonderful and beautiful country, um, but your energy around the things that, you know, this this common goal that we have, um, that there's a better way to build buildings. And that industry is so important. I mean, it is shelter. For people, it's where things happen. It's you know, it's where learning happens. It's where babies are born. It's where final goodbyes are said. It's an important aspect of everything that we engage in. And if we could just do it better, um, 
How cool is that? There's nothing better. But Dick, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. This has been a great conversation, as, as they always are. Thank you for tuning in to the Lean Construction Blogs podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. Remember to join us next time as we continue to lower the barriers to applying lean construction and help take your lean journey to the next level. And don't forget to visit the Lean Construction blog to stay up to date on our latest podcast episodes, weekly blog posts, monthly webinars, and upcoming conferences. We hope to see you on the next episode.